You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, it's so good to be with you all this morning. My name is Zach Meredith, and I'm the group's director here at City Church. Excited to be together. Hope you guys had a great uh, Thanksgiving week and are now starting to put up Christmas decorations and watch movies and get into the holiday spirit. But as we enter into this Christmas season, uh, we're starting a new series called Christmas Classics where we're going to look at our favorite Christmas movies that we watch each year. We're going to pick a few of them and take a closer look at them. Uh, maybe ask questions like, well, why do we watch these every year? Uh, what's the entertainment value? Uh, under the surface, do they give us a glimpse maybe into the heart of our culture and what we value, uh, particularly here at Christmas time? In our aim, our goal is to look at a few of these Christmas movies identify not only what's happening in them, but uh, dig into scripture to discover where they may have it right and where they have it wrong when it comes to Christmas and ultimately uh, what life is all about. Can anyone take a wild guess into what movie we're talking about today? Christmas Vacation, vacation, thank you. Yes, I don't know what gave it away. I'm going to take this off uh, while I still have a shred of dignity, and I hope no one took a picture, please, and don't post that. Uh, I still want to have a job tomorrow. Um, But yeah, this morning, we are going to be looking at uh, a very true Christmas classic, 1989 National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, starring none other other than the one and only Chevy Chase. Uh, Just by show of hands, how many of you have seen this movie? Okay, good, because if you didn't, you'd be like, why is that dude wearing that? So a lot of us have seen it. Uh, It's honestly one of my favorite Christmas movies. Uh, I watch it every year. I don't think I can, like, publicly endorse it from up here um, because of, you know, some of the themes or whatever. But if you haven't seen it, it's a very funny movie, and watch with discretion. Um, But in this movie, main character named Clark Griswold, um, played by Chevy Chase, he's a hardworking family man, And his goal, his want, is to have a perfect Christmas for his family, no matter what, right? No matter how hard he tries, though, it's disaster after disaster after disaster. See, he holds this almost nostalgic sentiment when it comes to Christmas, and he's determined that nothing is going to stand in his way of achieving that romantic idea of what the perfect Christmas vacation should look like for his family. And I know I can. I'm sure some of you here can as well. We can relate to Clark Griswold. Um, you know, I almost uh, do have this romanticized version of Christmas. And, you know, every year I fall prey to saying, hey, Zach, okay, this is going to be the year, right? This year is finally going to be the year where I watch a lot of Christmas movies, all the ones I want. Then I'm going to listen to Christmas music the entire month of December. Get to like December 4th, and I'm like, okay, I'm switching it up, right? Or this is the year that I'm going to, you know, make all the calls to family and wish them a Merry Christmas. And then we get to December 27th, right? And we kind of look back and go, where did that month go? It was just Thanksgiving. How is it already past Christmas? But traditions are cool, right? And around Christmas time, traditions are king almost, right? We do this every year. Our family does this every year, so we have to continue to do it. But, you know, I I really enjoy Christmas traditions. I really do. My family had had a bunch of them growing up that I really liked. Uh, December 23rd, the local fire department would put a Santa on a uh, fire truck, and they'd go through the neighborhoods, and he'd pass out candy. It's kind of weird when you think about it, but it was just what we did. 
the 24th, Christmas Eve, we'd do a seafood boil, and uh, we'd watch a really old movie called Bells of St. Mary. It's uh, uh, Bing Crosby. Um, it was one of our favorite Christmas movies to watch. Uh, the 25th on Christmas, we'd take all our leftovers to my grandma's house. We'd have leftover dinner, and, and we'd watch football. And uh, now, you know, my life in Tallahassee, uh, I've met my wife here, and now we've been married for five years, and it's been really cool to start traditions here in Tallahassee with us two, right? Like uh, um, Victorian Christmas in Thomasville, uh, Jingle Bell Run, uh, Dorothy B. Uh, we read through the book of Luke together in the month of December, which is something that we started to do, which we really like. And now that we have a son who will be experiencing Christmas for the, well, he, he won't remember, he's seven months old. But as we think about now, like we have a family, and so what cool things are we going to start to do? What fun traditions are we going to do as a family that will make Christmas that much more special? It's been a fun conversation to have. And as we think about it, they're all awesome. But if I'm being honest, and I, I, me and my wife talked about this the other day, like it kind of stresses me out big time trying to fit everything into this very short window, into 25 days. How do we fit all this into 25 days? And as we see the calendar start to overflow with events and parties and fun traditions, pressure, it can start to build a little bit. Anxiety can start to creep in a little bit, and all of a sudden, we're stressed out. In a time where things are supposed to be joyful and fun, they're not that anymore, right? They become not enjoyable and stressful and a chore, but here's the thing, failure's not an option, right? Perfection, a perfect Christmas, the image of a perfect family at Christmas time oftentimes rules, right? Much like the mentality of I'll sleep in January, like this is so full, I don't know how we're going to do it, I'm exhausted already, I'll sleep in January because we're going through. Much like Clark, our goal oftentimes is to have a perfect Christmas, no matter the cost or the wake of destruction that we may cause. And this need, right, this strive for perfection uh, is not something unique to, to us. It's not something unique to 21st century American culture, right? Humans are humans. Sin is sin. You know, sinful nature is sinful nature. And we can look back at the Bible and see that it's actually chocked full of people striving for this in life, right? Striving for the perfection, acceptance, good appearance in the eyes of the world. And today we're going to look at uh, in the Gospels and see a few interactions between Jesus and individuals that are going to directly address striving for perfection. And these interactions are going to radically shake these individuals' lives, some for the good, right? And some for the not so good. But I do think and I, I believe that we can learn and grow from reading about these interactions. So we're going to be in Luke 19, if you want to flip there. Luke 19, it'll also, it'll also be on the screen. And see an interaction that Jesus has with a man named Zacchaeus. So we flip there. By the way, I've heard all the jokes. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Zacchaeus, Zach, Zach, wee little man. I'm not traumatized at all. I don't skip this part of the Bible I get it. I'm over it. You don't have to say it out there, though. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not bitter. Um, but here we go. Luke 19 and verse 1. It says, Jesus visits with Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. This is Jesus. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd since he was a short man. 
So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Since he was about to pass that way, and Jesus came to the place, and he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with the sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times as much. Today salvation, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So we have this man named Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. We know that he has a reputation for being not a very well-liked guy. few reasons. Number one, he's a tax collector. No offense if you're a tax collector in this room. You're probably not the hit of the party. Okay? He's a tax collector. People probably don't like it when he shows up at the door. Secondly, he's a crooked tax collector. He's dishonest. He overcharges people to stuff his own pockets. And the third, not only that, but he's a Jewish man working for an oppressive Roman government over his own people. So simply put, Zacchaeus is selling out his own people for monetary gain. And so he hears, right, that Jesus is coming into town and Zacchaeus is super curious about him. He wants to see him. He wants to physically lay eyes on this Jesus everyone is talking about. The problem is, is that he's short. There's a big crowd. He can't see over him. So he problem solves. He finds a tree. He climbs in it. This is one of those visuals that, you know, reading the Bible, you say, man, I wish I would have seen that live. This is one for me because, you know, normally kids or teenagers climb trees. If you ever climbed a tree before, you get scratched up. You get dirty. Your clothes get ripped and nasty. Bug bites, bleeding. And to see this old, older guy who's in, like, the nicest clothes of all time because he's super rich and powerful, start to climb this tree and struggle up this tree. It had been a sight to see. That's how much he wanted to see Jesus, though. And what I like about this story, what I think that makes it unique, is that Zacchaeus doesn't need anything tangible from Jesus. Right? Zacchaeus isn't, isn't sick. He's not demonized. He's not blind. He's not paralyzed. He can hear Everything seems to be going smooth, smooth sailing in his life from a worldly perspective. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He's feared. He's respected. But Zacchaeus is just genuinely curious about Jesus. I think this is kind of like a side point to this whole story, that I think it's relatively easy to realize our need for God when we have a tangible, real need. But to look at this guy, a wealthy businessman, who seems to be in a great place in life, is just genuinely curious about Jesus as a different thing altogether. But continuing the story, Jesus looks up, uh, looks up to him, says, hey, dude, I'm coming to your house, so get down. And we know that the crowd is shocked by this, right? I think two things. They're shocked because he just kind of picked a guy and said, I'm coming to your house. Like, everybody's sitting there going, man, that dude just hit the lottery. That's awesome. And second, not only that, but everyone's sitting there going, he wants to eat with that guy? He picked out Zacchaeus out of everyone. Doesn't Jesus know what kind of guy he is? Right? What he's done to the Jewish people? He's a traitor. I need to go tell Jesus because he probably doesn't even know that. But then verse 10 rings true. 
right here, verse 10 rings true. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus right here is very quick to remind all of us that sinners are his priority. That he came to seek and save the lost. Not those who find their righteousness in their own actions. There's a very similar situation. You don't have to turn there because we'll only be there for a couple seconds. In Mark 2, almost identical to this, where Jesus teaches us the very same thing. It's in Mark 2. It says, then passing by, Jesus saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. So he got up and he followed him. And then it says, while he was reclining at the table at Levi's house, I wonder if Jesus invited himself over again, like two times. That's a boss move right there. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. Remember Zacchaeus, tax collector, sinner, it's the same crowd. And there were many who were following him. And then when the scribes who were Pharisees saw that, so Pharisees, men of the law, right, who, who, uphold, who upheld the law, found their perfection, their appearance, their righteousness, and their own actions, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, and they asked his disciples, hey, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know we're right here? Jesus heard this and he told them, it's not those, it, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Once again, right here, it is clear that Jesus came to save sinners, those who were dead in their sins without any hope, and this is such good news for all of us in this room. So after being sought out, <coughs> excuse me, by Jesus, Zacchaeus sets out to do everything in his power, right? And we just read about it, to make right what he's done wrong. And even more so, as he overpays times four those who he's cheated in the past. And I say that to say it's clear that after his interaction with Jesus, he has a heart of repentance, right? His heart had been radically transformed by Jesus. And so let's compare that then to another interaction we see in the Bible, a story that uh, we are probably all very familiar with. It has very, very similar themes, but a completely different outcome. The story of the rich young ruler that we read about in Matthew 19. So we'll be in Matthew 19 now. It'll also be on the screen. Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. You probably have, have, have recognized this story. Verse 16, just then, someone came up and asked him, teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? It's a great question. Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, Where, uh, there is only one who is good. And if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? He asked him. And Jesus said, do not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, I've kept all these, the young man told him. So what do I still lack? He says, if you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. The young man heard this and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So just like Zacchaeus, what do we notice right away about the rich young ruler? Number one, he had money, right? It's in his name, the rich young ruler. He had status, he was a ruler, and he wanted something. 
Right? He wanted eternal life. And if you go back and read the section before the one we just read, it's the famous passage of Jesus sitting down before children and saying, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And I can't help but think that the rich young ruler was kind of watching it being like, ooh, yeah, I, I'm, I need to ask Jesus about that because I want that too. And then Jesus leaves and he comes up and says, hey, what, what do I have to do now to, to enter eternal life? Jesus tells him, you know, these are the commands we see in the Old Testament. He says, I followed him. So we can conclude that he's probably a very morally good guy. He's probably a great friend, a great husband, a father. If he has a family, he's probably a really fun guy you want to watch football with. Just a really good dude. But he goes away grieving, right? Dismayed, extremely sad. It, it's just, it doesn't quite compute. Well, why? Well, it's pretty simple. He's not willing to make Christ the Lord over his life. So see, like unlike Zacchaeus, the rich young ruler, he wanted something from Jesus, salvation. He says, I'm wondering how to get this, and he asks Jesus what he has to do. Well, there's yellow flag number one, right? He thought he could gain favor with God by doing good things. Then he asked Jesus, well, how do I get to heaven? I want in. I want to be with you for eternal life. I've done all these things. Kept the commands. I followed the rules. He seeks this perfection, right? Once again, he's seeking this perfection, this image of perfection. But what he failed to realize is that that pursuit, it was in vain. Because Jesus tells him effectively, we read about it in the Old Testament, he basically tells him, well, don't have any other gods before me. In the ruler's case and here, that was about money. But it could be a laundry list of things. It, it, it doesn't have to be money. That's not the point of the story. It could be so many different things that we put before God. And the prospect of choosing Christ over worldly idols was something that the ruler was not about to do. He wasn't willing to do it, and that's why he walks away bummed out. I think it's interesting to compare and to contrast these two stories of these men, right? Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler, both were wealthy, both were powerful, Difference is, the rich young ruler thought he was acing life through his morals. He thought he, thought he was killing it. And Zacchaeus was probably fully aware that he wasn't a good dude. If he's openly cheating poor people, he's probably, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a pretty wicked guy, but at least I'm rich. So despite their financial wealth, they have very, very different levels of awareness of their spiritual poverty, which is the cornerstone of our life. How are we spiritually and because of that, Zacchaeus sees how much he has to gain from following Christ. He's willing to throw it all away to follow Christ because he sees how much he has to gain, but the rich young ruler only saw how much he had to lose. See, both men here, Zacchaeus, rich young ruler, both chasing perfection, right? Living an image-driven life. Both men were confronted by Jesus. Both men were told what to do to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus responds by repaying wrongs, giving up worldly ambitions to follow Jesus. He does so joyfully and repentantly. The rich young ruler clings to his worldly ambitions and walks away grieving. I mean, what a difference. Polar opposites. The rich young ruler, Zacchaeus, start in the same place striving for perfection no matter what the cost. And I really think that Clark will be sitting in that third seat right next to him. 
This need and striving for image and perfection was the goal of each three of these men. The rich young ruler, perfection in the law was the goal. Zacchaeus, perfection in wealth and image was the goal. And Clark, the strive and need for a perfect Christmas for his family was the goal. And all three men did everything they could to achieve these things. You're probably sitting there thinking about, if you've seen the movie, like chuckling at some of our favorite scenes because there's a lot of great scenes in this movie of Clark striving for something and then tripping and falling and failing miserably, right? Think about opening scene. They're going to get the perfect, he wants the perfect Christmas tree. He forgets his chainsaw. I don't know how they dug out the roots. It's just this massive thing on this car. Then he gets it in his house and then it's all tied up and he cuts it and it opens up and just destroys his house. Just demolishes it. And we see he wants the perfect Christmas light display. And he drives him and his son crazy trying to get it to work. Falls on his face. He wants the perfect family dynamics at Christmas time. And then Cousin Eddie shows up. That's all I got to say. Right? Falls flat on his face. He wants the perfect turkey Christmas dinner, the picturesque Christmas dinner at the table. The turkey's dried out beyond belief. Falls on his face. He wants the perfect gift for his family, a surprise pool. He doesn't get the bonus, right? Falls on his face. It almost seems like as you're watching the movie, the harder he tries to, for this perfect Christmas, the deeper he gets into this quicksand and the more pressure he feels until he snaps at the end of the movie and goes crazy. And he says the line where he's forcing this perfect Christmas on his family. And he says, we're going to have the hap, hap, happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby danced with Johnny K. I'm not going to say the full quote because I like my job. If you know, you know. Right? He was chasing something that was unattainable. And I think we can call this Griswold's gospel. Right? Griswold's gospel. What is that? What is Clark Griswold's gospel? Well, it's the pursuit of perfection and the image of perfection apart from Christ. It's a gospel that amplifies self-importance, cultural tradition to fulfill this is what Christmas is all about. It's this vain chase for fulfillment in things that leave you wanting more and keep on coming back to it over and over again. They won't satisfy. And while we know that Clark Griswold is, is a fictional character, Right? He's not real, it's just, a, it's just a character in a movie. This fruitless pursuit is not. I fall prey to it. I'm sure a lot of you in this room have fallen prey to it. We struggle against it. I think a great question to ask is, like Clark Griswold, do we fall into the cultural temptation to follow Griswold's gospel during Christmas time? Right? To make Christmas about perfection, tradition, appearance, Never being satisfied, always reminiscing, it wasn't as good as that one, I got to put on more steam. I think the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to Clark Griswold's pursuit, is the answer to our pursuit. Here's a reference for you, just like the Jelly of the Month Club, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gift that keeps on giving. That was cheesy, but I liked it. But here's the good news, right? In a culture that puts pressure on you and me this holiday season, that Christmas is about perfection, it's about 
image, we actually are celebrating the coming of a Savior that tells us that it's okay not to be perfect. That in Christ, the pressure is off. Because when we put our faith in Christ, he invites us to rest, to tie ourselves in his perfection, to rest in the perfect life that he lived, to put our hope on his work on the cross on our behalf. We look to Christmas, right, to the coming of our Savior, the coming of Jesus, as the fulfillment of God's promise that we do see in Genesis 3, at the very beginning of the Bible, where sin enters the world, right? Adam and Eve, they sin. Sin enters the world. And God is talking to Satan and said, hey, I'm going to send somebody that's going to defeat you for good. That's going to defeat sin and death and that will redeem my people. And Christmas is it, right? That's the answer to this victory over death and to a personal relationship with God. It's found in the manger in the little town called Bethlehem, right? It's the coming of Jesus sent on a rescue mission for us. That's what we celebrate. So we sing about. It's the one that came down from heaven who lived a perfect life so that we don't have to because it's impossible and it's exhausting. So some very practical questions, you know, I think that we can all ask ourselves and reflect on as we dive into this season is what is it that you're pursuing so much that you would do anything to have? I think that's a great question to ask ourselves to reflect on. Another one is, are you stressing out because the holidays are upon us and everything has to be perfect? Everything has to be perfect. Why? Things like throwing a great Christmas party to outdo the neighbor or our friends. The pressure's on. Right? Or spending more on gifts for your family because you have to outdo last year, the year before, but money's tight right now. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I think a big one is, you know, the perfect family Christmas picture so everyone can see how put together we are. This was actually ironic because like two day, three days ago, we took our son to get the perfect first family photo. And we went to see Santa in Orlando. And we waited in line for a long time and we were pretending it was cold and we had like sweaters on. I had like the flannel I was sweating through. It's like 85 degrees in Orlando. And we finally get there and Miles, my son, sees Santa and just loses it. And so we have a very funny picture of just Miles like, and Santa's just like sitting there like, what's going on? And we were frustrated, my wife and I. We're like, ah, we spent all this time, spent our whole day around this, and we couldn't get one. And I literally had to stop and be like, oh my gosh, I need to preach this to myself way more. I think another question is, does our view of God resemble Clark Griswold's view of Christmas, that we have to do everything perfect for God. And this perfection that we seek as a Christian, it doesn't come from self-effort, right? In fact, like we're born, like Romans 5 says we've already blown it because we're born into sin. And only as we place our trust in the only perfect one, Jesus, then we are clothed in his perfection. We're made clean before the eyes of a holy God. And that's it, right? That's the good news of the gospel. 
So I bet, you know, including myself, I'm sure there's some of you who are already exhausted, right, at the mere thought of the holiday season, right? That mentality I said earlier, like I'll sleep in January, I'm just going to charge head first. You're already tired thinking about it. Well, Jesus says in the book of Matthew something very interesting. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And if this is you, right, if you're weary, if you're burdened, if you're tired, we look to this promise. It's that Jesus wants a relationship with you and is eager to give you rest. So if you're sitting there going, that sounds awesome, but what do I do? Or maybe, you know, you're in this room and this is just a season of life. It's like, oh my gosh, well, what do I do? Three very practical, easy things you can do. This week, open your Bible and read God's word. Start in Luke. It's a great place to start this season. Second is spend time talking to God, <coughs> excuse me, through prayer, laying your burdens on him, asking him for the rest that he promises, thanking him for sending Jesus. And then the third is, is, is pretty simple as well as just community, right? Being around other believers to be encouraged by, to encourage. We have a care room in the lobby with people who serve faithfully that they're, they're, they find their joy in coming alongside people and showing them Jesus and helping them come to Jesus, whether it's the first time or the 50th time, and they want to pray with you. So that's Jesus' invitation to you, to me, during this crazy Christmas season. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I hope to see all of you next week at Christmas on the Moon. It's going to be a great service. I'm going to say grace, not the one that died 30 years ago. There's another one. And then we'll sing the good news. So let's say grace. I pledge allegiance to the flag. I'm just kidding. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for, uh, first of all, all that you've given us um, for sending your son um, to rescue us from our sin. God, I pray that during uh, this busy holiday season, as things start to pile on the calendar, that we would not put our relationship with you on the back burner, God, but we would run to you for rest and we would run to you for peace and that we would point others to you as well. God, we pray that we would live missional lives that would reflect Zacchaeus' heart change as we seek to live out the gospel in Bojo Kingdom in Tallahassee. We pray for this week as we prepare for Christmas on the moon. We pray that we have a lot of people come and hear the gospel for the hundredth time for the first time and respond by trusting you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.